0: This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to a special five-part podcast series on operationalizing your compliance program, sponsored by BroadCat LLC. Over this series, I visit with Jennifer May, Director of Compliance Advisory, Taylor Edwards, Director of Sales, Xenia Perky, Design Manager, Alex Klingelberger, Chief Executive Officer, and JC Dempsey, Director of Customer Success we consider a variety of ways to more fully operationalize your compliance regime, including the design and effectiveness of your communications, why the operationalization of compliance is a team sport, why simply data is not the answer, and how to avoid being overwhelmed. First, a quick word about our sponsor, a BroadCat. BroadCat designs operationalized Compliance Communications and Training. Imagine guidance for your managers on when an employee comes to them with a concern condensed into a customizable one-pager or a checklist for approvers so they can know what red flags to look for in expense reports and invoices. BroadCat has been called a behavioral compliance best practice by the Temple Law Review. So check out BroadCat at thebroadcat.com. In this concluding part five, Taylor Edwards joins me to answer the question, are you overwhelmed yet? Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox back for our concluding episode in this five-part podcast series. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Taylor Edwards, and although this is the fifth episode in this podcast series, Taylor is really batting cleanup. Because we're going to not so much take a deep dive into what we've already gone over, but start with everything we've gone over and ask the question, are you overwhelmed yet? Taylor, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: Taylor, that word overwhelmed is one that I hear from a lot of compliance professionals. Whether it be overwhelmed because of continued releases of information from the DOJ in the form of the Monaco memo or enforcement actions, whether it be looking at the hallmarks of an effective compliance program, OMG, where do I start? Or just how do I get a handle on my compliance program? How do you help a client or customer of the broadcast really think through that question of are you overwhelmed?
1: Yeah, I think it's certainly a fair question, one that we don't blame folks for maybe feeling that after they they go through new commentary or memos like this. But really simply, our a big part of our emphasis is on encouraging an honest assessment of the program. And that is taking a maybe a new perspective when you start to look inward and say okay based on what i've read here based on what i've just listened to these comments how does that apply to me and when you can get real with yourself about where things may not be perfect you can also start to work on i think it's a little bit of a skill but start to work on this idea of recognizing that it's okay not to have a perfect program nobody has one and even if you did have a perfect program in a week, it would no longer be perfect, because people are going to come and go risks are going to shift and the world is ever changing. So that's a big part of it is recognizing that it's never going to be perfect and being okay with but then with that lens looking at the program and trying to say, okay, great, what's the next one thing I can work on. And sometimes it's a matter of taking small baby steps, but just recognizing that there's going to have to be some steps taken regardless.
0: Taylor, why is a critical assessment, a realistic assessment, assessment where you, if you're going to look at your own program, you really do take a jaundiced eye, whether it be in the form of some testing or looking at it to see if remediation or perhaps even enhancement needs to be done. Why is that component of this process so critical?
1: Yeah, I think one thought right off the bat would be part of the reason for that is because We're hearing a lot of the same messages get repeated with commentary that comes out and memos that come out. They get repeated because it's obviously not sticking, at least not as strongly as maybe the DOJ wants it to. They're still seeing some of the same things. And we need to do this in order to make sure that we're capturing the and really analyzing the take home message here of effectiveness of a program effectiveness at at reducing or eliminating that bad behavior within the organization. So that's one aspect of it is it's not quite sinking in. And so there's still more work to be done there to make sure that it does sink in. Now, when it comes to remediation or supplementation, things like that with the program, a big part there is recognizing that there are industry best practices. There are things the way we've done them all along that simply aren't working. And so we still need, we need to come back to the drawing board to say, okay, what are those things that we continue to do that simply are not making an impact or are not moving the needle? And how do we change those things?
0: Taylor, why do you believe that knowing your corporate history is so important and that number one, you're not defined by your history, but number two, moments in time are important. How do you help a client understand, or at least think through, let's take a look at where we were, see where we are. And maybe go from there. Yeah, I think
1: number one is the fact that, that serves as data, right? There's so much talk in recent years around being more data driven, gathering more data, taking a look at that data with a more critical eye or a more analytical approach. Knowing those that history of the organization and those moments of time is, in part, some of the data that you have to work with, and so that's a big part of it. Understanding that helps you get a grasp on more of the data within the organization and what it means for the organization. It also helps you understand culture. And that's a big, sometimes, often, oftentimes I would say used as a buzzword without a lot of meaning behind it, or at least not a, a strong consensus behind the meaning. And culture is going to play a role in employees within the company or within the organization, not only behave day to day, but how they react to to compliance's efforts to build a more ethical and compliant workforce within the organization. And so that history informs that culture, right, in such a huge way. So I think that's maybe a couple of quick reasons of why that's really critical to understand is the history of the organization.
0: Taylor, let me pick up on your points around culture, because that was something that Lisa Monaco, back in October of 2021, talked about in the first speech that really presaged the Monaco Memo. She brought those thoughts forward in the Monaco memo and said that the DOJ would begin to assess corporate culture. I like to say the DOJ tells us the why, and people like you and me tell clients how. Sure. So we've been told why we have to do it. The DOJ wants it done, and the DOJ is going to do it. But now we have to move to how. So I was wondering if you might give a few thoughts on having that conversation with your customer or your client about the importance of corporate culture and assessing it in a way that you can begin to take some of the steps that you have articulated?
1: Yeah, you bet. I think a really big aspect of this is the listening function of an organization. To be honest, I'm sometimes blown away when I talk with compliance teams Who tell me, hey, this is what we need for our program, and and here's why we're maybe talking to your team at broadcast or to somebody else. Here's why we're doing what we're doing is because we need this. And I say, okay, great, great. How did you identify that you need? That's that's from our observation, or that's from some commentary we've seen. Okay, great. Have you done any listening within the organization? Have you surveyed? Have you had a focus group? Have you had some kind of forum for employees? Have you gathered or? Crowdsource any of that from within the organization? Frequently, the answer is no. Frequently, it's based off of their own observations from within the legal and or compliance department or team of the company. That's a small bubble, particularly at a lot of the organizations that we work with. That'll be many thousands, if not tens of thousands, or in some cases, hundreds of thousands of employees. If you want to, if you recognize the need to understand and to work within the landscape of your company culture then you've also got to accept the fact that you've got to do a better job of getting out into the business and understanding what that culture looks like outside of legal and compliance. And so listening plays a huge role here that a lot of groups may not previously be, be doing all that much. And that can be as formal as surveys. that A lot of organizations put out engagement and or culture surveys. They call it different things nowadays. But it can also be as informal as having one on one conversations with high risk individuals, or even maybe low risk individuals that work with high risk individuals, it doesn't matter. But having conversations frequently and across different parts of the business help not only your understanding of the culture, but then how you can go in and influence it for the better, influence it to be more ethical and compliant.
0: Let me see if I could put that another way, because I write and talk a lot about the soft skills a CEO needs. And listening is either 1A or 1B. Yeah. What I heard you say is, it's not simply the CCO, it's the compliance function. And I'd never heard it put in the way you did, which is compliance needs to listen. Is that a fair assessment of, of what you just told us?
1: Yeah, it certainly is. It, and I'd offer even a little bit more context to say, before I joined broadcast, my my role was working with typically large organizations in building employee experience programs, right? And so that involved listening at a variety of levels throughout the organization and from a variety of of points to gather the data from. And I just, frankly, I've never seen an organization that did too much listening or too much request for give us feedback. And yet, it's certainly not just the CO, it's the compliance function itself. And I also think that it has to go beyond the helpline function. That has a very specific, oftentimes that is understood in a very specific way by employees. And so some of the feedback that you can get will be constrained to a narrow context. And you can get additional feedback and understanding about the culture of the organization and the state of the organization by having conversations or doing listening outside of the context of the helpline, where someone proactively brings something to you, sometimes anonymously.
0: Taylor, in the 2020 update to the evaluation of corporate compliance programs, the Department of Justice told us that risk assessments need to be done when your risks change. And at that date, it was easy for everyone because we were in the midst of the nationwide shutdown and some sort of return to work during the pandemic. But it w- wasn't simply assess your risks. Certainly it was put a risk management strategy in place. But then it was to test that strategy through monitoring and improve that strategy on a continuous improvement basis. And I know that sounds like it's part of this overwhelming, but my sense is that what the department wants you to do is break it down into small chunks, test those chunks, and then remediate or improve or move on to the next risk as appropriate. So do you see, we started off by talking about maybe thinking about smaller pieces, and maybe we could conclude with your thoughts on what you see the department wants and how to really think listing the risk or risk ranking, and then trying to move through those risks to remediate or manage those risks as appropriate as a strategy to keep from being overwhelmed.
1: Yeah, that's a really great question. And it's actually, my mind is going to a couple of different places here on some items we've touched on that might help to pull it together. And so I think the most critical point that I bring up here is that part of the reason this can feel overwhelming, and part of the reason why it's important to do this in small chunks, and part of the reason why the DOJ has to keep talking about this is because I think a lot of groups, understandably, but a lot of groups have gotten mixed up in what outcomes they're trying to drive. And I'll use, I think this applies compliance broadly, but I'll use a training example because BroadCat tends to operate pretty heavily in this training and communication space. And that is sometimes groups get really focused on completion rates. What completion rate did we get for our training this year? Frankly, the DOJ doesn't care what your completion rate is. What they care about is whether someone did something wrong, right? And training is a tool to help people not do the wrong things. And sometimes we look at these wrong outcomes and we get too heavily focused on it. So if, you're, if your focus is on 100% completion rate, if that's the outcome you're trying to achieve, then your focus will be on a LMS tool that allows you to easily assign modules to 100% of your workforce and get it tracked that it was done. If the outcome that you're really focused on is compliance, good behavior, making sure that laws and regulations do not get breached, then your focus will be, well, how do I influence behavior as opposed to having 100% completion rate. And so then if that's your focus is the behavioral element, then you start to do these other things that currently seem overwhelming for a lot of groups like monitoring right? Monitoring seems overwhelming for a lot of groups. And it typically gets underinvested in in my experience. But once again, if your focus is on the prevention aspect, then you're going to be heavily focused on let's go out there and see what people are doing wrong currently, so that we can so that we can address it and stop it. And it can be done on a risk-by-risk basis, and it can be done on a task-by-task basis or a process-by-process basis where you peel back the onions of the organization, the layers of the onion, I should say, of the organization to say, here is a potential pitfall in our current process. Here's a potential weak point where we might be relying too heavily on individual judgment, or not using our controls and our systems properly. And so let's dig into that. Let's see how often that's happening over the last quarter where something might've passed this process that shouldn't have. And then let's tighten it up. And so then you start to focus less on the completion rates and less on the, they're oftentimes called vanity metrics. And you start to focus more on the end result that ends up informing whether you do have to sit across the table from the prosecutor or not. And so I think that's maybe the... Most simple takeaway that I would take from a couple of these different points that ties to this last question, which is the idea of making sure we're focused on the right outcomes and making sure that we're focused on the right metrics before we make changes. If we get really narrow down to what we're what outcome we're trying to achieve, then it gets a lot easier and more manageable to take the bite-sized steps and implement the guidance that we're getting pretty consistently from the DOJ.
0: Taylor, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I wanted to thank our listeners You've joined us for this special five part series. But before we leave, if listeners wanted more information on any of the topics you've touched on, what would be the best place for them?
1: Yeah, it probably doesn't come as a surprise. The best place would likely be our website. That is thebroadcat.com. Obviously, you can get a hold of us there and read more. We've got a robust library of resources and blog posts and things like that that folks can can refer to. And so that's going to be the best place to reach us.
0: Taylor, wanted to thank you again for taking the time to visit with me, and I look forward to continuing this conversation with you. You too. Thanks, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. Hope you'd enjoyed this episode in our special five-part podcast series with the BroadCat on operationalizing compliance. The BroadCat is one of the most innovative compliance product and service providers that I know of in the compliance space. They have been way ahead of the game in visualization and other strategy and tactics that are not normally used to help uh, influence behavior and compliance. So I hope you will check them out. Once again, their website is thebroadcat.com.